Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Revelation 13. We're going to look at verses 11 through 18, and we're looking at the finality of the satanic trinity, the third leg in the stool, the false prophet. As you know, in Israel's history, there has always been false prophets. And then into the church age, there's been false prophets and false teachers that raise their ugly heads and say things that God didn't say, but yet say, thus saith the Lord. In Israel, the penalty for a false prophecy, one false prophecy, was that you would be stoned to death for it if that occurred. In the church age, people get away with false prophecies all the time and nothing happens to them because we're in a different age, the age of grace. But their penalty is going to be exacted from them at the end of the church age that they'll be allowed to go through the tribulation and left behind because they're false teachers and false prophets and not believers at all in that sense. So we're going to see the ultimate expression of false prophets. Satan has always used people to get his message out, to counteract God's message. So it's what we call in our modern day terms the fake media. Satan's got his fake media as well, and he does it through false prophets, giving false information, things that completely contradict reality, things that seem uh, nice and seem benevolent, but they're in fact evil. For instance, the false prophets today say that it's a woman's right to abort her baby. And they'll couch it in terms that seem, well, it's a woman's right, and you would want a woman to be able to choose to have control over her body, wouldn't you? And at the same time, it's extremely evil because they're killing and murdering children in the womb. And so you'll see that dynamic play out with Satan's apostles or false prophets. So what we're looking at today is the ultimate false prophet. This guy is the guy that comes alongside of the Antichrist to support him, and he supports him satanically with powers and lying signs and wonders. And so he completes the satanic trinity with Satan playing the role of the Father, the Antichrist playing the role of the Son, and the false prophet playing the role of the Holy Spirit. Satan cannot create anything. He tends to just simply mimic what he sees God do, and then he changes it for his own purposes and tries to mimic or copy that. And that's why the title of today's message is Discerning the Counterfeit. He always counterfeits everything. we got a lot to cover today. And so let's jump right in, verse 11, and deal with the false prophet. Again, we're in the middle of the tribulation. This is John's way of saying this has been going on during the seven-year period. This is all future. And so he says in verse 11, Then I saw another beast. In the Greek, it's another of the same kind, a very satanic creature. And it says that he's coming up out of the earth. It's a present participle in Greek, which means a gradual rise as a world figure. But the idea, it's less foreboding. It's not just on the scene instantly. He's been coming up for a while. And that's exactly the way the Antichrist comes up. He comes up gradually out of nowhere, but it's a gradual ascent from where he's coming from. Now we have to start unpacking things. It says he's coming up out of the earth. Let me give you some views on what that means. This is a very difficult text. I'll give you the views that are acceptable in translating this. 
One view that's acceptable than the fact that he's coming up out of the earth. It's in contrast with the Antichrist. The Antichrist comes out of the seas or the Mediterranean, which represented to Israel the Gentile world and the chaotic Gentile world. So there was a chaos associated to the seas, and the Gentiles were associated to that. So that's, we talk about the Antichrist coming out of the Mediterranean. He's a Gentile from the revived Roman Empire. But coming out of the earth is a different tack. And so what John is trying to say, and there's several interpretations. The first interpretation is that he comes out of the earth is that he's less foreboding. He's not as terrifying. He's not like the Antichrist that comes out of the chaos, which is the sea. He comes out of the earth, which is not as terrifying to the Jew. You've got to understand the Jewish mindset to understand the terms. The Jews didn't see water like you and I see water. We see the Pacific Ocean. We say, oh, that's so nice and that beautiful. They didn't see it that way. They saw it as chaotic. They saw it as deadly, that you don't want to go there. You don't want to live there. And to be on a boat on the Mediterranean was terrifying to them because it also represented the chaos coming from Noah's flood. Every time they saw water, it was a reminder of judgment and Noah's flood. So the fact that he comes from earth could mean that it's less foreboding. He's not threatening like the oceans would be, a la the Antichrist. That's one possible interpretation, and that's a viable one if you want to pick that one. The other one that's viable, and a lot of old-time Bible scholars have chosen this, and I see where they're going with it, is there was a contrast with Gentiles and Jews. The contrast with the Gentiles is that they come out of the oceans, so they're the chaotic oceans of the world. And the Jews come from the Haaretz in Hebrew, the land. And there's some commentators that will say then it's possible, if it's saying he comes from the earth, that the false prophet may be Jewish, perhaps. Again, that's one interpretation. A lot of the older scholars used to go with this or, or did hold to this view. It's an acceptable view, but you don't have to hold that, I th- the other viable one is that uh, it's less foreboding. And even Messianic Jews like Dr. Frutenbaum will even say, yes, it's, it's more of a less foreboding than the fact that he comes from the earth rather than the chaos of the sea. So you can, you can study that a little bit more and figure out where you're going to land on that. And that's kind of where we want to keep it. In one sense, I get it in as far as he's less foreboding. That makes a lot of sense because... This guy is going to be a religious figure, you'll see in just a moment. And so a religious figure is not as threatening as a political figure. So I I, I get that. So let's go to the religious element of him. And it says, and he had two horns like a lamb. So just to show you a picture of a lamb with horns, the idea in any ancient culture, whether it was Jewish or any culture in the Mediterranean, a lamb was considered a religious animal. Obviously, they borrowed from the Jews and, and whatnot, and we understand that lambs go all the way back to the sacrificing of them to Cain and Abel because God required innocent lamb's blood to be shed, obviously pointing to the eventual shed blood of Messiah. But nonetheless, the idea of a lamb is that he's not foreboding. No one's threatened by this kind of person because he's religious in nature versus the Antichrist who is very threatening. So the idea is he's religious outwardly in his appearance. 
He looks religious. He talks religious per se, so no one's afraid of him. Notice that this lamb has two horns. The horns always symbolized power, but it also symbolizes function in one sense. Well, what do you mean? This guy functions in a priestly role and a prophetic role. He's a false prophet, but he's religious. He's a priest. A good analogy, and I've always used this jokingly, and I say it tongue-in-cheek, is to look at Pope Francis. Pope Francis looks very religious. He looks pious when you look at him. But when he talks, he says things that are anti-biblical all the time. The guy just won't stop. It's like week after week, he says something that goes against the Bible. But when the world looks at him, what does he look like? He looks religious. Now, here's the idea of this religious character, this false prophet. He's going to portray religion, obviously, not the one true religion, biblical faith. He's going to portray the world's religion, okay? And he's going to appeal to the world in his what we call pseudo-morality. Have you noticed that leftists have their own morality, what they think is right and wrong, and they cover it with their sentimentality and their emotionalism? Have you noticed that on TV? That's kind of what he does in a broader sense. Interesting enough, you'll see this pseudo-morality perpetrated by the false prophet. But this pseudo-morality is undermined by what they say. And look what the text says. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. What is it telling you? They pretend to be nice and benevolent and religious. But they're really not because out of their mouth, the heart speaks. And out of this guy's mouth will be Satan's voice, per se. He will speak the words of Lucifer. He speaks like a dragon. The words that people say reveal their character. And his person that he reports to is called the father of lies. He will perpetrate lies. Everything that comes from his mouth will be a lie. He'll be in the veneer of pseudo-morality and religion, but he is a liar, and he speaks the language of his father. Let me give you a kind of an up-close-and-personal understanding of demonology and Satanology so you can understand the false prophet by what's going on today. Deception, obviously, is rampant in the church. It's rampant in our culture. But the message today from demons, no one really wants to go here. But when you talk to people who were ex-New Age, ex-occult members involved in Satanism, witchcraft, Wicca, whatever, those involved in the occult or New Age or whatever, and then they get saved, they find a very interesting thing that's been occurring with them once they get into Christianity. And let me tell you about this because this leads into how the false prophet will lie, okay? When they come into Christianity, they are shocked to find that what they were told in the occult by demons is a 180 from what we were teach, are teaching. What do you mean? Well, they say when they were involved in the occult, that the demons would tell them that in the future, 
a lot of these pesky Christians will just disappear. And what that is, they were told, is that the earth is cleansing itself of all these pesky people. And some of them are being taken away to get reprogrammed. Does that sound familiar to what we call the rapture? But that's what the demons are telling those in the occult. It gets better. They also tell these people in the New Age and the occult, when they're channeling demons, that a great tribulation is coming upon the earth. And it's actually a good thing because Mother Earth is cleansing herself. And there's going to be a a hard time, but we'll make it through. And everything's going to be great after this tribulation period. They'll tell them that Jesus is not really God, but that he's an extraterrestrial. They'll say that the new world order is what we really need to usher in peace and that we need to worship a guy that's coming, a supreme single ruler, and he will bring peace to planet Earth and that all the religions need to unite in order to have peace on the Earth or Mother Earth is going to explode and that there is no sin, we don't need a savior, and Lucifer is a good guy. Did you hear what their message is? You know, the interesting thing about the way we believe, because very few people in Christianity actually hold to an eschatology like us, that actually hold to a pre-trib, premillennial view, dispensational view. I'm not trying to be technical. I'm just trying to say these are what we believe, okay? Seven-year tribulation, a pre-rapture, thousand-year reign of Christ. Those are the basics. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it extremely interesting that the demons are telling their followers a corrupted version of the real version. Lies. They're spinning the rapture. They're spinning a seven-year tribulation. They're spinning the Antichrist, the false prophet, the the judgments of, of God coming on planet Earth. They're spinning that. Notice what they don't spin. And this is an interesting thing. And I think it verifies what you and I are believing. They're not spinning preterism. They're not spinning post-millennialism. They're not spinning all-millennialism. They're not spinning a mid-tribulational rapture. They're not spinning a post-tribulational rapture. Now, we get our information from the Bible, as you understand, and and we study it, and this is what we believe. But isn't it interesting that the satanic and demonic activity is foisted against the very thing you and I believe? If we had a divergent view, by the way, that's not under attack. That's not what the demons are going after. They're not spinning preterism. They're spinning dispensational, pre-trib, pre-millennial rapture-viewed eschatology. I find that amazing. I find that as another proof of Satan's warfare, of what really is real. Because what does Satan go after? He goes after what's real. He goes after what the truth is, and he spins it. That's what they're being told. He will spin it. This guy is the ultimate in fake news. 
So when the rapture does happen, he will say exactly what the demons are saying today. Well, the earth cleansed itself of all the bad people and took all the bad people away. Maybe they will, maybe they won't come back. Well, what do you do about all the kids and the babies that disappeared? Well, they took them up because they're going to recondition their minds because their parents were all messed up and mental because they believed in this Bible thing and believed in Jesus. And so now they're being reconditioned so they can come back to the world. And after they're reconditioned, they'll think like you and I. I do. That's what he's going to say. See, I don't have to go too far to already know what the, what the false prophet's going to say. The demons are saying it now. They're saying it now, and their adherents are following them. If we can just get rid of these pesky Christians, and everything would be fixed. Classic. Let's go back to the text. And he exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence. The idea is that he exercises delegated authority. He is counterfeiting the Holy Spirit. He has authority, but a lot of his authority has been delegated by the Father and the Son. And so he is functioning in the role of the Holy Spirit, counterfeiting this delegated authority. Interesting. All a counterfeit. And he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. So this is religion. This is not just simply political. Whose deadly wound was healed. Now, we talked about this last week that the Antichrist has a counterfeit resurrection. He's killed and he's raised by Satan. And we, we, we try to figure that out, whether it's God giving Satan that ability or whatnot. There is a counterfeit resurrection that we have to continue to deal with. It is not a resurrection of a government because it's a man. And he's causing people, the false prophet is causing people to worship him who had this wound healed or had a counterfeit resurrection. And those who dwell on the earth are called earth dwellers. These are unbelievers not coming back and they're worshiping Antichrist. Well, how is this a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, his job is not to have the focus in on him like some of the hyper charismatic churches do. The Holy Spirit's role is to foist our attention to Jesus, to make sure we worship him and the Father, but not focus in on the third person of the Trinity. So when you see churches and all their focus is on the third person of the Trinity, you know they're already upside down. That's not the role of the Holy Spirit. Even the satanic Trinity gets it right. He's foisting everybody's worship to the Antichrist. He's pushing everybody to do this, this religious character. And he goes, and on top of this, what makes it so compelling to the world is that in verse 13, he performs great signs so that even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. The idea here is that he has been given supernatural abilities to do unbelievable things. Bringing fire down from heaven, that's Elijah. That's the two witnesses. He's copycatting that. And what possibly could he say? See, I can do that just as much as they can. Just as much as the two witnesses brought fire from heaven, I can bring fire from heaven. Do you remember, this is a repeat of the Exodus. Do you remember Moses going before Pharaoh? And what were Janus and Jambres able to do? They were able to copy the first few miracles of Moses, Remember? But it came to a limit, obviously. But this is what the false prophet, he has satanic ability, supernatural ability to do things. And so think about this. Not only is he, is he fake news and, and fake propaganda, he accompanies it with supernatural abilities. That's scary. 
Jesus said the supernatural abilities of this guy and even the false prophets and the Antichrist are going to be so good, it would deceive the elect, Israel, if it were possible. He's saying it's not possible, but that's how good they are. Because if you're not saved, it will deceive you. You won't get it. You will see supernatural things, a guy coming back from the dead, the false prophet with all kinds of supernatural abilities. Game over for this world. Think about the people you see on the streets. Think about the people you work with. Think about the people you go and you just see masses of people at the mall. You think they can stand up to this kind of satanic activity? They're clueless about even what's happening right now. Forget about it. Once a guy comes on the scene and he's taking control of things and he has supernatural ability, it's over. It is over. He'll lead tons of people astray. Verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth, the earth dwellers, by signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. So this should be a warning to all of us. We should never, ever be fooled by supernatural abilities. If a joy boy on TV is doing things, supernatural stuff going on, and people are seeing all kinds of weird stuff, a lot of it's fake, obviously. But what if the stuff, what about the 5% that's real? What is that? It is supernatural, but it's not from God. Do not discount the demonic world. Do not discount Satan. They are alive and well. And I can tell you this, in the last two to three years, in our ministry, we have seen high levels of demonic activity, higher than I've ever seen in my whole ministry, affecting Christians, attacking Christians, harassing them, going after them, doing everything they can to destroy them. It's real. If you don't think it's real, you're going to be deceived. See, a lot of our churches out there today don't even want to talk about this subject because it upsets them so much. They want to pretend that Satan and the demonic world really don't exist. Yeah, they existed in the Old Testament and in the Gospels. They really don't exist today. They are alive and well. They are here. It is why Paul said we have to put on the full armor of God every day because they are attacking. They know something's happening. And they are ramping up their efforts But what will happen is you'll see supernatural manifestations. And when you see these supernatural manifestations, don't blow it off. Don't think you're going crazy if you hear voices. Do not think that when you smell stuff in the house that it's something's not right. It's just a dead rat. You smell sulfur. You smell burning. You smell things that doesn't smell right. You hear voices. Do not think for a moment that's a coincidence. I just don't know. Maybe I had too much pizza last night. I don't know. Do not think for a moment that if you start having night terrors, that that's not a sign. So many people are having night terrors. We're not talking about bad dreams of a hamburger eating you. No, no, that's a bad dream. We're talking harassment in the dream. Harassment in the dream is supernatural. Dreams that you can't wake up from. Dreams where they're chasing you down. That's satanic. It's demonic. Something's happening. 
So I must tell you this to warn you, because when we're studying this stuff, it is front and center. This is what blows people away, and they just blow it off. Voices in your house is not something to blow off. That means something's there, an entity is there, a demon is there doing something. They know you. They're called the watchers. What are they watching? They're watching everything you do to capitalize on you, to find a weakness, to get at you, to start controlling you in your thoughts and then eventually in your behavior. That's what the game is being played. That's the game he plays. And what does he do? He tells those who dwell on the earth, make an image to the beast, so an ultimate form of idolatry, who was wounded by the sword and lived. So the ultimate form of idolatry is going to be made. They're going to put an idol of him in the temple of the Antichrist, in the Jewish temple that's going to be rebuilt. So idolatry has not went away. It's still with us, and you're going to see its final form with the Antichrist. But notice this about this idol in verse 15. He was granted to give breath or pneuma. It's not zoe or bios in the Greek. It's pneuma, which is breath. Zoe or bios would be physical life to the image of the beast. Huh. And what will it do? That the image of the beast should do two things. Both speak... And causes many who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. This is why we're talking about an individual. We're not talking about a government. You can't make an idol of a government. They made an idol. They're going to make an idol of the Antichrist. But this idol, John says, and remember, John's writing from 95 AD. He has no idea of our technology. But when he sees it, he says, oh man, all I can say is it looks like it's alive, but it's not. But this thing has the ability to speak, and it has the ability to kill people. And John just leaves it there and says, and I can understand him. John wouldn't understand that. But in our day and time, I fully understand what he's talking about. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says exactly what we understand in our time period. He is talking about AI. It looks alive. It speaks. It has deep learning. And it has the ability to kill you. We're on a new frontier with AI. This is going to get away from us. And it already is, by the way. They don't know how to control this thing. It is Terminator 2, basically. It's Judgment Day. Because these things have the ability to, to learn, and they will eventually outdo us. Perhaps that's what John is talking about. I feel very strongly, I'm not going to be dogmatic, that John is seeing our technology, and he's trying to put it in the best words he could possibly say. It looks alive, it speaks, but it doesn't have bios. It doesn't have Zoe in it. Look how advanced they are. This thing is Sophia. By the way, she's the only woman, I put that in quotes, in Saudi Arabia that can drive. Isn't that crazy that they don't let their women drive in Saudi Arabia because of Islam, but they let Sophia drive. She's like the most celebrated woman there. Sophia is extremely advanced. She has the ability of deep learning. What I mean by deep learning is she, it's not just programming into her. She learns on her own. Eventually, she'll be able to outthink us. Scary. This is inside her. This is what she looks like. She's not human, but she appears to be human. If it is AI, and I really believe it is, we're in that period of time, folks, where we're close 
if this is it, if this is what the technology the Antichrist uses or the false prophet uses, we're there. I want you to think for a moment about a few things technologically, and we're going to have to get into some technical issues. If you have Google Home, if you have Amazon's Alexa, or Apple's HomeKit, or Siri, or Microsoft's Cortana, these things are listening to everything you say. Your phone is picking up everything you say, even though your phone might be off. Your phone is tracking you. Your phone knows every move that you've ever made. Even if you turn off all the location devices, it doesn't matter. The minute you hook up to a, back to a Wi-Fi and you turn those things on, it's uploading that data constantly. All your emails are locatable. All of them. Every search you've ever done on the Internet is locatable. And these devices we used to call bugs from the CIA, we're now putting our own bugs in our own home. Why is this a big deal? Because intelligent design has the ability of deep learning. These things, they say, are so intelligent, they can predict about 90% accuracy what you're thinking just by your facial expressions, just by the mouse movement when you hit the key and how hard you hit it. They're learning. And what are they learning? They're learning you. They're learning what you think and what you believe. Oh, yeah, they'll say it's for marketing. And this is because we want to advertise to you. And I get that now. But what if it happened to fall into the hands of the Antichrist? Would he market that to you? No, it's over. Because the way they market it is if you don't worship him, you're dead. If they can predict what you're thinking, you're dead. Oh, you don't think the Antichrist is God? You're dead. Of course, we won't be here. But let me show you things about what happened with Google. If you do a search engine with Google, be very, very careful about that. They're tracking everything. Google has seven products that have at least one billion active monthly users. One billion. There's about seven billion on planet Earth. One billion Google people that Google knows about. They're gathering information off YouTube, Google Drive, Google Maps, Google Search, Androids, Gmail, you just name it, they're collecting gigabytes. Google, don't think there's not money behind this. Google, in the first three months of 2018, made $31.2 billion in revenue in three months off of this. Off of these tracking devices, because they're marketing it. Interesting enough, Dylan Curran, information technology consultant, he wanted how much Facebook had on him, and he wanted how much Google had on him. And so he's a kind of information guy, techie guy. He downloaded all the information they had. And this is what he came up with. And this is a snapshot, a screenshot of him. He said they had 600 megabyte files on him. 5.5 gigabytes from Google alone. Facebook had 600 megabyte files. That's nine times as large. And he says, this is one of the craziest things about our modern age. He goes, we would never let the government or a corporation put cameras or microphones in our homes or location trackers on us. But we went ahead and did it ourselves because we want to see a cute dog on YouTube. He's exactly right. 
Because we want to watch a little cute thing on YouTube or a little show. It's a tracking device. And these tracking devices are learning about us, are making guesses on us. Oh, forget it. That technology is going to be used. I want to show you a video. These are important. I want you to see how smart Google's AI is and where we're at. Because this is the technology I believe the Antichrist is going to use. Roll that video. Hi, I'm calling to book a woman's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. It turns out a big part of getting things done is making a phone call. We think AI can help with this problem. Let's say you want to ask Google to make you a haircut appointment on Tuesday between 10 and noon. What happens is the Google Assistant makes the call seamlessly in the background for you. So what you're going to hear is the Google Assistant actually calling a real salon to schedule the appointment for you. Let's listen. haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Mm-hmm. Sure, what time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like, what service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay, we have a 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. is fine. Okay, what's her first name? The first name is Lisa. Okay, perfect. So I will see Lisa at 10 o'clock on May 3rd. Okay, great. Thanks. Great. Have a great day. Bye. That was a real call you just heard. The amazing thing is the assistant can actually understand the nuances of conversation. We've been working on this technology for many years. It's called Google Duplex. It brings together all our investments over the years in natural language understanding, deep learning, text-to-speech. By the way, when we are done, the assistant can give you a confirmation notification saying your appointment has been taken care of. Let me give you another example. Let's say you want to call a restaurant, but maybe it's a small restaurant which is not easily available to book online. The call actually goes a bit differently than expected. So take a listen. See how may I hear you? Hi, um, I'd like to reserve a table for Wednesday the 7th. For seven people? Um, it's for four people. Four people? When? Today, um, next Wednesday at 6 p.m. Oh, actually, we leave for like upper like five people. For few, four people, you can come. How long is the wait usually to uh, be seated? For when tomorrow or weekday or? For next Wednesday, uh, the seventh. Oh no, it's not too busy. You you, you can come for four people, okay? Oh, I got gotcha. you. Thanks. Yep. Bye-bye. 
again, that was a real call. We have many of these examples where the calls quite don't go as expected, but the assistant understands the context, the nuance. It knew to ask for wait times in this case and handle the interaction gracefully. Look, we are still developing this technology, and we actually want to work hard to get this right, get the user experience and the expectation right for both businesses and users. But done correctly, it'll save time for people and generate a lot of value for businesses. Okay, first qualification has now been satisfied. The AI has the ability of deep learning and to speak. It can make phone calls for you and can do all kinds of things. The first leg has been satisfied. AI has the ability to speak. This image of the Antichrist has the ability to speak and would imply deep learning. If, if AI has the ability to speak, it's learning. Listen, did you see how the AI interacted with the human? It caught the nuances. It understood what was being said, and it adjusted itself. Did you notice the adjustments? That's way beyond anything we can imagine. Now, I have another video. I want to satisfy the second leg, the ability to kill us. We won't be here for this, but the image has the ability to turn the off switch on us. Okay. This comes to what's called hacking. The ability to hack the human mind, to understand what the human mind is thinking. Economic forum that was ha had in Davos this last year, there was a speaker, a, a Jew, who spoke at this that's, that's very up on this. He's not a believer, so, you know, don't think he's saying anything. But I want you to listen to what he's saying about the AIs having the ability to hack our brains. Okay? So listen here. It's about 10 minutes. It's very important what he is saying. I want you to hear what he's saying. Please. So I want to talk to you today about the future of our species and really the future of life. We are probably one of the last generations of Homo sapiens. Within a century or two, Earth will be dominated by entities that are more different from us than we are different from Neanderthals or from chimpanzees. Because in the coming generations, we will learn how to engineer bodies and brains and minds. These will be the main products of the economy, of the 21st century economy. Not textiles and vehicles and weapons, but bodies and brains and minds. Now, how exactly will the future masters of the planet look like? This will be decided by the people who own the data. Those who control the data control the future, not just of humanity, but the future of life itself. Because today, data is the most important asset in the world. In ancient times, land was the most important asset. And if too much land became concentrated in too few hands, humanity split into aristocrats and commoners. Then in the modern age, in the last two centuries, machinery replaced land as the most important asset. And if too many of the machines became concentrated in too few hands, humanity split into classes. Now data is replacing machinery as the most important asset. And 
if too much of the data becomes concentrated in too few hands, humanity will split not into classes, it will split into species, into different species. Now why is data so important? It's important because we've reached the point when we can hack not just computers, we can hack human beings and other organisms. There is a lot of talk these days about hacking computers and email accounts and bank accounts and mobile phones, but actually we are gaining the ability to hack human beings. Now what do you need in order to hack a human being? You need two things. You need a lot of computing power and you need a lot of data, especially biometric data. Not data about what I buy or where I go, but data about what is happening inside my body and inside my brain. Until today, nobody had the necessary computing power and the necessary data to hack humanity. Even if the Soviet KGB or the Spanish Inquisition followed you around everywhere, 24 hours a day, watching everything you do, listening to everything you say, still they didn't have the computing power and the biological knowledge necessary to make sense of what was happening inside your body and brain and to understand how you feel and what you think and what you want. But this is now changing because of two simultaneous revolutions. On the one hand, advances in computer science and especially the rise of machine learning and AI are giving us the necessary computing power. And at the same time, advances in biology and especially in brain science are giving us the necessary understanding, biological understanding. You can really summarize 150 years of biological research since Charles Darwin in three words. Organisms are algorithms. This is the big insight of the modern life sciences. That organisms, whether viruses or bananas or humans, they are really just biochemical algorithms. And we are learning how to decipher these algorithms. Now, when the two revolutions merge, when the infotech revolution merges with the biotech revolution, what you get is the ability to hack human beings. And maybe the most important invention for the merger of infotech and biotech is the biometric sensor that translates biochemical processes in the body and the brain into electronic signals that a computer can store and analyze. And once you have enough such biometric information and enough computing power, you can create algorithms that know me better than I know myself. And humans really don't know themselves very well. This is why algorithms have a real chance of getting to know ourselves better. We don't really know ourselves. And even if you walk away, and even if you keep hiding from yourself, you will not be able to hide from Amazon and Alibaba and the secret police. 
As you surf the internet, as you watch videos or check your social feed, the algorithms will be monitoring your eye movements, your blood pressure, your brain activity, and they will know. They could tell Coca-Cola that if you want to sell this person some fuzzy, sugary drink, you wouldn't even know that this was happening. But they will know, and this information will be worth billions. Once we have algorithms that can understand me better than I understand myself, they could predict my desires, manipulate my emotions, and even take decisions on my behalf. And if we are not careful, the outcome might be the rise of digital dictatorships. Dictatorship concentrates all information and power in one place. Now, given the technological conditions of the 20th century, distributed data processing worked better than centralized data processing, which is one of the main reasons why democracy outperformed dictatorship and why, for example, the US economy outperformed the Soviet economy. But this is true only under the unique technological conditions of the 20th century. In the 21st century, new technological revolutions, especially AI and machine learning, might swing the pendulum in the opposite direction. They might make centralized data processing far more efficient than distributed data processing. And if democracy cannot adapt to these new conditions, then humans will come to live under the rule of digital dictatorships. And already at present, we are seeing the formation of more and more sophisticated surveillance regimes throughout the world, not just by authoritarian regimes, but also by democratic governments. The US, for example, is building a global surveillance system while my home country of Israel is trying to build a total surveillance regime in the West Bank. But control of data might enable human elites to do something even more radical than just build digital dictatorships. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. And if indeed we succeed in hacking and engineering life, this will be not just the greatest revolution in the history of humanity. This will be the greatest revolution in biology since the very beginning of life four billion years ago. For four billion years, nothing fundamental changed in the basic rules of the game of life. All of life, for four billion years, dinosaurs, amoebas, tomatoes, humans, all of life was subject to the laws of natural selection and to the laws of organic biochemistry. But this is now about to change. Science is replacing evolution by natural selection with evolution by intelligent design. 
not the intelligent design of some God above the clouds, but our intelligent design and the intelligent design of our clouds, the IBM cloud, the Microsoft cloud, these are the new driving forces of evolution. Obviously, he's a secular individual, but he's talking about something very profound. The second leg on the AI is biometrics. If you're not up on biometrics, you need to be aware of that. Biometrics has the ability to hack you, to understand what you're thinking, to understand your emotions, to understand even your health. And here's the deal. People will sell themselves out for health reasons and, and let themselves be hacked for health issues. That's how it's going to come. That's how they're going to sell it. I'll show you in just a bit what this biometric device looks like. Go to verse 16, and I'll show you. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark, a karagma, on their right hand or on their forehead. The karagma is a copy of the Jewish tephilim or the phylacteries, because God in Deuteronomy 6 put it between your eyes and put it on your hand. And so the Jews would make phylacteries and they put it on their forehead and put it on their right hand. This mark that the Antichrist comes up with, or the false prophet, the karagma, is something that will be put on the right hand or either, if they can't do it in the, on, in the hand, they'll do it in the forehead to counterfeit God's mark, God's seal. So this mark is given to everybody in the world, rich, poor, free, slave. Everyone has to get it, okay? Verse 17, and no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the karagma or the name of the beast or the number of his name, which is on the karagma, which means it implies it serves as an economic passport. All economic transactions have to have this mark on the individual biometrically. But it means that no one's permitted to work or make a living without this biometric mark and this intelligent design. It implies ownership because it's the Antichrist mark. It's an identification tracker of everyone on planet Earth. It is a cashless system because you can't buy and sell with a mark. You have to have no cash. So you can't have a bartering system. The bartering system will be gone. It is all cashless because it has to be digital, digitalized. It requires, like he mentioned, a central location for where this is stored. You can't have multiple locations, which implies a central banking system. We already know that. That's the Antichrist headquarters is the central banking system. And we're all moving towards that, by the way, a central banking system. And so, therefore, it also, the currency must be digital, but it must be a cryptocurrency, a one-world cryptocurrency, because everybody's going to be on it. Biometrically, we live in a time where this is completely possible. Look at this next screen. Here's your biometric chip. It's an RFID chip, radio frequency ID. It has the ability to store all your data, upload it to clouds, and biometrically tell others what you're thinking, what you're doing, how you feel, and what you're health-wise. 
They already have this in some places in Common Core. When kids are at school, they can tell how hard they're hitting the keyboard. When they ask them, what do you believe about homosexual marriage? And if they hit that keyboard too hard, they're going to recondition their minds because biometrically they're sending off signals that they're against it. Oh, this is a real deal. This is not made up. This is not, this is not conspiracy. They're doing this. Guess where they're putting it today? Right here in the soft tissue of the right hand. I guess if you don't have hands, I'll put it in your forehead. But for right now, they're putting in this soft tissue. I watched a video this week of them inserting it into someone's hand. And they're doing this constantly. They're doing it all over Europe. They've done it in a few factories and companies here in America because the employees can just go and scan themselves. They don't need identification cards. They just scan their arm. Some grocery stores, stuff like that in Europe. There's them putting the procedure in. It's very simple. They deaden the area and they put it in. This gal had done this for work. You could see the implant right in her right hand. This was in Australia. They're doing this as well. This is not being resisted. This is being embraced. They're thinking this is the greatest thing since sliced bread because we could use it to open up our house. We can use it to open up our cars. We can tell our computer how we want to run our house. We can lock our house, alarm our house. We know everything, and so I won't need keys. And guess what they're selling it with? Security. Security. We'll get rid of the mobs. We'll get rid of the gangs. We'll get rid of the drugs and and all that because there's no cash. It's gone. But when the cash is gone and there's no bartering system anymore, one man can control the entire planet. And by the way, biometrically, that little thing that goes inside people can tell them, hey, this guy's not with the program Kill him. The off switch will be readily available because all they have to do is run the algorithm and the algorithm will tell them, this guy doesn't believe the Antichrist is God. Kill him. And that's what they'll do. They will cut people's heads off like there's no tomorrow of those who don't truly believe. That's how the game is going to be played, folks. Thank God we're not here for it, but what's my point? The point is, The technology exists now. It didn't exist 50 years ago because they didn't have biometrics. We now have them. And we're developing exponentially. We can't keep up with it. 50 years ago, you did not have intelligent design with deep learning. These things are predicted to outpace us. I read some stats about this. And this will freak you out. AI will be able to translate languages better than humans by 2024. Write high school level essays by 2026. Drive trucks by 2027. Work in retail by 2023. Write books by 2049. And perform surgery by 2053. There will be the elimination of doctors if we go this long. Most recently, an AI developed by Google defeated the world's best player in Go, a complex strategy game. In 2011, IBM's Watson AI famously won a game of Jeopardy against the world's best players, and IBM's Deep Blue defeated Gary Gasparov in chess. The motion pictures with Terminator, with a dystopia where you have like the Matrix where machines take over, we're there! We're there. And the Antichrist is going to use that with the false prophet to cause people to worship him. That's how close we are. We continue on, and I'll finish up on this. Verse 18. Here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is a number of a man. His number is 666. 
Now, this passage really doesn't apply to us. And here's what I want to show you about this. Since we're going to be raptured and we won't be here for this, this is a marker for those living in the tribulation. See, the book of Revelation is a survival manual for those living in the tribulation. So in order to identify the Antichrist, it says, here is wisdom. John commands, calculate the number of the man, the number of his name. What's well, classic Hebrew gematria. Classic Hebrew gematria. What do you mean? In Hebrew gematria, Hebrew is an alphanumeric system. Every letter in Hebrew has a number that corresponds. With the Hebrew alphabet, what the Jewish believers will be able to do in the tribulation, and you can only do it once the Antichrist is revealed. If they're saying, hey man, this guy cut a deal with us, he's, he's showing signs and wonders, he resurrected from the dead, is this guy the Antichrist? Well, all they will have to do is then take his name in Hebrew, put it in Hebrew, take out the vowels, because there's no vowels in Hebrew, and stick his name in Hebrew into the alphanumeric system, Bingo! His name will come up 666. And they will be able to identify him at that point in time. Hopefully, they will run. Hopefully, they will get out of Dodge. But this is why this passage is given. It's not for us. It is for the tribulation saints living in the future. But what's the warning about this? This is in Revelation 14. A third angel. An angel will cry out. To the inhabitants of the earth, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone or sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. This, my friends, will be the dividing line in humanity in the tribulation. You worship the Antichrist and you take his mark, it is game over. You're going straight to hell for that one. Because it indicates rebellion towards not accepting Messiah, not receiving the forgiveness and grace that God offers to all humanity. When you choose him, you choose hell. And that's the message with those with the mark. The message for us is this. How close are we? The two legs of technology are here. Israel's back in the land. Gog and Magog players are lining up. The demons are talking about a one-world government, a one-world religion. How close could we possibly be? What does that imply for us? Exactly what Jesus said. When you see all these things, look up, lift up your head, for your redemption draws near. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. 
So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.